Welcome to the D.A.R.E. podcast, where it is all about helping people overcome anxiety and panic attacks. The D.A.R.E. app has over 1 million downloads and is free to download at DareResponse.com. Now, without further ado, here is the D.A.R.E. podcast. Hello, everybody. Just going to wait for Michelle. There you are. Hi. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our first webinar in December. It's Santa Claus Day here in Germany. Hi, Michelle. There she is. So tell me, guys, do you celebrate like the 6th of December around the world? Like here, Michelle was just saying to the people in the chat here in Germany, it's Santa Claus Day. I don't know really what it is, but we just, you know, give children a bunch of chocolate. (laughs) So the insulin is through their eyes. (laughs) December 6th. Always December 6th? Yes, always December 6th. It's like mini Christmas or preparation for Christmas. I don't know. (laughs) Well, happy Santa Claus Day, Aida. You've already had a bunch of chocolate today. <laughs> so how was your Thanksgiving, Michelle? It's a big... It was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was big. It was quieter for us this year, but it was it was fine. Quiet is good. We like quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quiet is good sometimes. Yeah, so I just said welcome to anybody who is new here. If this is your first time here in the webinar, mm-hmm. you can open up the chat and... um ask questions. If we talk about a certain topic or theme, um, chime in, ask questions. Um, Just for a general tip, it's best to keep the conversation in the chat around something that we talk or else, you know, people just get lost in the conversation. Mm -hmm. A couple of questions coming in today. And if you missed this, or if you have to leave early, this will be on our app, probably by tomorrow. And then eventually, um, it'll be up on our podcast and on the YouTube channel. Exactly. Good. So, shall we start, Michelle? Yeah, Yeah. let's go. Here we go. Right. First question. I have a lot of feelings of guilt in being a burden to my friends and family when I ask them to help me through panic attacks, especially when I'm home alone. Is calling someone in the middle of the night to help me through a panic attack hurting my progress in there? I want to be able to go through panic attacks by myself, so I'm not relying on others to solve my problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this comes up very often anybody on the on the chat relate to this relate to this question come in where you feel like a burden I don't want to and then you notice your family could get annoyed after the 47th phone call and is this delaying my progress by calling somebody um kind of like uh like it would go into the category possibly of half category I would think of crutches and the other half of just even having not many people around you that even understand this process. Um, it's, it's hard when the people around you don't even know what this feels like. It's hard to, it's a hard thing to explain to somebody who's never gone through it. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, I think look at it this way. We walk together until you can strongly walk on your own. That's the process. This is how we that. start, right? We walk together. We all had somebody who walked with us for a while. Michelle had that. I had that. People on the chat, did you have somebody walking with you? And the other thing is, I think you wouldn't mind calling somebody to help you with dressing or cleaning up or cooking if your leg was broken. But it's mm-hmm. a mental thing. It's because it's mental. I cannot see the pain. People can't understand. It's hard to relate. So now I'm like a burden. Yeah, people might feel like a burden to you when they have a broken bone or something else, but not to that extent usually. It's usually that mental stuff because there's a strong association with weakness and all the shoulds come in. You shouldn't feel this. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be so weak. You should be further along and so on and so on. So try to be really kind with yourself and just acknowledge that at the moment you still need help. Is it going to hinder your progress? It's tough to answer because we don't look at it this way. If you would do that constantly throughout and you never had the intention to let go of that, yes, that would be destructive. But what I can see from your question is that this is where you're heading. This is what you're trying to achieve. So for the moment, it is absolutely okay. And I think also that the people who are helping you are not even like 10% as annoyed as you think they are. I think you are annoyed by yourself and by your lack of progress and you know with anxiety just living with yourself can be so hard right guys Mm -hmm. you get tired of living in your body and in in your mind and we tend to project that feelings onto others too so be aware of that distortion and respond to that in any kind way 
Yeah. And if you, if your family, if you don't have supportive friends or family, like I see in the chats going, but my mom said I am a burden, but my boyfriend said I should hide how I feel. So I won't be a burden. Um, that's kind of what our community is here for, you know, like join Facebook, join our groups. Sometimes family just doesn't get it. And sometimes it, Sometimes on the opposite end, it is a lot for somebody, especially if they don't know what to do or how to help or what to say. Um, but this is why we are here. This is why we have the community Facebook pages. This is why we have all the other supports out there that we do. And a lot of stuff we have out there is free. Um, this is, if you guys are the app members, join in on the Facebook page. Um, that's It's like the best way to use D.A.R.E. is to use it as a family. Absolutely. And you know, I think I wish Michelle. Do you have you ever seen those artists who create these sculpt sculpt sculptures? Is the word that represent emotions. Have you seen that that sculpture who represents? Oh, with that the big head hanging, holding the. Yeah. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. That's the one with grief. Like it's it's um, filled. It's a statue filled with stones. Like the heaviness of grief. So mm-hmm. the shape of a person, but filled with stones. And I thought it would be so good if we could see anxiety, you know, if there would be a mark or something like that, it would make it so much easier for people to understand it, but they cannot see it if they've never been through that. And what right. very often happens that this not being able to help leads to their own frustration. Now, where mm-hmm. do you go with that frustration? So I'm going to project it onto you and I'm going to say things like, well, get it together. This is the moment we should really do something. <clears throat> Sorry about this. This dear thing you're doing is not working. Right? They, they get impatient. It's usually because they they can't deal with their lack of helping you. Mm-hmm. That makes it tough. It still sucks. I get it. Um, but try the best you can to navigate through it. And I absolutely test what Michelle said. Join the Facebook groups. The dear community, they're the most loving community you will ever meet. The other part of that too, um, I want to be able to go through panic attacks by myself so I'm not relying on others to solve my problem. So use that as an opportunity before I call whatever my brother, when I, you've heard us say this on the calls before, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Am I calling my brother because there's an emergency right now? My house is on fire. I need help. I need to escape. Oh, I feel X, Y, and Z. Use Use this as a good jump off point to say, Okay, I don't have to call my family. This will be where where you can practice this choosing to call, choosing not to call. It's safe to have a panic attack. It's safe to have a panic attack. My family really makes me feel better. They're not keeping me more alive. I feel reassurance. I feel calm. In the beginning, this is what people do a lot of. And if you notice, like I was saying, it's every time, and I'm doing this all the time, that can become habit as well, where every time I feel, I must do. Every time I have this feeling, I must call my mom. So what we would help, what we would say on this end for advice to you would be, do I, do I, do I have to talk about this like that? Or can I just be anxious and call my mom at four o'clock instead of calling her right now? Can I practice just sitting here with this feeling? Can I walk my dog with anxious? Because we, we kind of tie into these actions and behaviors directly in response to a feeling. So that would be that part of it. So I view this kind of like as two parts, where to find your support. And then mm-hmm. also, if you want to work on like, like not being re- like feeling like I need to call my family all the time, make your behaviors like, like I can choose to call them. I can choose not to call them. I choose which time I call them. I can choose to not even talk about anxiety when I call them. Um, Just with that switch of a mindset um, might help too. The same way you would use like bring water, not bring water, call somebody, not call somebody. Yeah. And just two things. Um, I lost my train of thought. Okay, let's start with the one thing I remember. Michelle, you used to say, use your crutches willingly. And I really love that. I think that's mm-hmm. so important. Maybe you can talk on that just a little bit. It's, it's so fitting for this question. Yeah, there was, um, I think it was from a post I did a while back. And it was something like, people were asking me, how do I, I'm not fully recovered because I still bring my bottle of water with me. Or I had a, I gave in, I took a Xanax or I called my mom for help. That would be this example. Um, and I think the post said something like the first step of dropping a crutch is to first start using it willingly. Mm-hmm. So 
just that I'm feeling, and that ties into the beginning of this question, actually. I have a lot of feelings of guilt because what that means is that I am using my crutches reluctantly. Like, mm-hmm. oh God, I don't want to have to call my mom. I feel guilty because I'm viewing my behaviors as I'm doing something wrong, as opposed to calling my mom. It's up to her to not pick up the phone. It's up to her to not, I choose to call my mom. And so whatever behaviors you do, even if you bring your bottle of water with you, bring your bottle of water with you willingly, do the thing you're doing willingly, because once you do things willingly, you realize, well, I, my choices are like, if I, I can choose to do the thing or not. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to choose to bring my bottle of water with me, but I'm not going to beat myself up through the process. Exactly, exactly. And one last practical step. So next time you ch- you have a panic attack at night and you just take a moment to reflect hmm, and you choose to use your crutch willingly, why don't you wait 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. Say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to call her and it's absolutely fine, but I'm going to call her in 10 minutes. And then see what that does to your attitude and to your perception of your situation. Because what most likely will happen is like, okay, those past 10 minutes were super uncomfortable, but worst case scenario didn't happen. I was uncomfortable. So does it really only only take for me to learn to be more uncomfortable for longer periods of time to overcome this? Awesome. I think I can handle discomfort. Mm-hmm. And view it too as if not I call my family sometimes because it's so much and sometimes those behaviors can become compulsive behaviors where every time I feel I must do, every time I feel I must do. And so another, like, here's the, sure, I'll call them in 10 minutes or I'll call them, but today at four o'clock. Also, I can pre-decide what behavior I do. This is where I change my behaviors. That can become another thing I do compulsively. And so if I pre-decide, you know what? I've been getting up at three o'clock in the morning in panic. And every time I get up in panic, I have to call my mom. Notice the have tos. Notice mm-hmm. the must or else. And, and pre-decide, hey, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to wake up in panic at three o'clock this morning, at three o'clock in the morning. But if I do... Rather than call my mom, instead, I'm already deciding I'm going to get up and prep my lunch. Anyway, I'm going to leave the utensils out. And I've already decided that instead of doing this, I'm actually going to do this. Not to not get reassurance, but this is where if if, if that behavior becomes more of like a compulsive type thing that every time I feel I must do, it's like, oh, actually, I don't have to. I could do something else. I don't have to do anything. I can cook dinner with a panic attack. I can even turn on the TV. I, it's just to get you away from that muster us all or nothing thing. If every time I have a feeling, I have to call 10 people and talk about that feeling all day long and, and tell everybody the feeling that's there, that can be become compulsive behaviors in general. Anybody notice, do you know the difference when you're doing it one way and when you're doing it the other? just want to Whoever is here on the chat. I'm doing this because of, or I'm doing this despite of. Mm -hmm. That's a good distinction. (gasps) I'm going to do the push-ups because I have a panic attack. Oh, let me do these push-ups and let's use this energy. Or I just want to go to the gym, but (gasps) as I stepped out, I had this panic attack, but I'm going to go despite and not, oh, that's good. I'm having a panic attack. Let's go to the gym. So it will go away. It's it's tiny, tiny things. How you'll, how you'll, you you can't lie to your brain. You just can't. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. You cannot trick it. Right? It's super smart in that regard. It knows everything that you do, the intention. And this is why we stress intention so, so much. Somebody else asked, um, is doing breathing exercises considered a crutch in the deer response? Same answer. Depends. <laughs> Depends why you do it. Right? Are you doing it? Oh, because I have this panic attack and now I need to breathe to make it go away. First of all, it's not going to work. And second of all, you are actually confirming that a panic attack is something dangerous that you can't stand. But if you're going all wet noodle and, uh, yeah, okay, you're breathing too, but it's got completely different intention. You're saying, oh, yeah, I'm doing it despite time. You see, brain, even though you're firing this alarm, I'm fine. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm showing you with my behavior because I'm responding differently. I'm not reacting. I'm responding. And there's a difference between being reactive and being responsive. Yeah. Anything could be a crutch. Mm-hmm. Depending on, but again, crutches are useful to get you going. If you break a leg, you use crutches. 
because really the goal is to not use the crutch. The goal is to engage in life as much as possible. So if I break my leg, instead of me being out of life, well, my crutches get me back into life a little bit more. My crutches help me keep going in life. And so that's why, like I say a lot of times, so, so fucking what to that too. So I said this on a webinar a while ago, like, let's say you look back on your life and you're like, you live this long, long life and you, and like you finally die. And, and like people remember you as, oh yeah, yeah, he was that guy who traveled the world. He always had that bottle of water with him though. Remember like in the grand scheme of things, who cares? So what? You still travel the world. You lived your life. We tend to view at recovery so black and white, so linear as when I do all the right things the right way all the time. And I never do the bad things that I don't take the Xanax. I don't do the Yes, this all or nothing mindset. And that's not recovery. Recovery yeah. is lighter than that. The disorder and the recovery live in how much a feeling dictates your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like view it that way how much like I made a lot of decisions based on how I felt or how I thought I was going to feel that's the disorder not the fact that I felt anxious or not so that's what we're here changing like how much of my feelings are running the show and even if I am switching my seat is it a must or else thing? Is it a game changer? Is it do or die? Is it all the time? Or do I do it sometimes? And even when I do it sometimes, how do I treat myself when I do it sometimes? Is it, God, Michelle, there you go again. How, how are you supposed to help people? You can't even help yourself. Imposter, you're a therapist. All my therapists out there love to do this to themselves too. How can you help everybody else? You can't help yourself. Oh, you're still... Um, bring your Xanax with you, but you tell everybody lighter, lighter. All of this is not pressure. Doesn't work here. Lightness helps. Claire Weeks word float. Float is what helps. Lightness is what helps. You want to alleviate the pressure of needing to do the right things all the time to beat this problem. That's actually part of the big part of the problem. Yeah. And there are certain things like I don't want to do. I don't want to do a friend invited as once to you know those floating bathtubs i don't even know what they're called where you're like floating in water that it looks like a like a oh those sensory deprivation tanks things <laughs> and, that barry um, wanted us to do yes sounds great hell no oh thank you you can do that enjoy <laughs> <laughs> no thank you but same thing with i i mean i do it i go in the ski lifts do i enjoy them absolutely not do i have to dare through them like hardcore every time absolutely but it's not something I have to do every day. Do I consider myself now um, having an anxiety disorder? Absolutely not. Do you know how many people are out there who, who never experience anxiety? But in this one situation, I just don't like the fucking elevator. Sorry, the elevators. I always take the stairs. I don't like them. I don't eat um, green grapes. I don't like them. I don't want them. Fine. I mean, not me. So I know somebody. <laughs> it's just the red ones. Okay, so what? I, that's totally okay. You don't have to get rid of all your fears and become superhuman to consider yourself recovered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Please, this is this is probably be the most important part of this webinar. I don't know what we're going to say in the next 45 minutes, but know that it's not final elimination of all, well, because then you're keeping the old neural pathways there mm -hmm. and you have to create new neural. And every time I do that, I'm reinforcing it. That linear, that black and white mindset is more plot problematic than switching your seat for a minute on the train. Okay, no, yes. like just so that's just my thing. Oh yeah, I don't like roller coasters, so I just don't take roller coasters. How much of your overall life is that affecting? How much involvement and engagement in the life around you is that like? Like, are you still pinning your behaviors, most of your behaviors, and your decisions? to your values, to the things you want to do, to being a productive member of society, right? Rather than I must do it right or I failed. Exactly. And it's, I like the word, the word soft in that regards that you used, Michelle. It's really a soft, everything must be softer. <laughs> everything, the way you speak to yourself, the way you look at your progress, the way you look at why you are where you are, all of that, it, it requires softness if you want mm -hmm. not only progress, but if you truly want to come out 
stronger on the other side. And yeah. you know what? I know a lot of people will say now, yeah, but I had a bad childhood. I don't know how to be kind to myself. I have no idea about self-compassion and all of that. And you now then there are all the inner child theories, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I myself, I'm not the biggest fan of that because in my understanding, every child grows up. It's not like we have an inner child inside that never grew up. But I, what I truly think is if we if we're not loyal to ourselves, if we don't love ourselves, if we don't stand up for ourselves, if we're not kind to ourselves, what we really experience is the echo from childhood. Okay, this is how I felt back then. This is how I feel now. Um, but you can learn to love yourself and to be there for yourself and to be your friend. Now, doesn't mm-hmm. matter what childhood you had. You can learn that like everything else. So don't think oh, just because it's always been like that or just because my parents were anxious or oh, my parents were on medication and I am, so that's genetic. It doesn't help you. It doesn't mm-hmm. help you at all to think like that. No matter what was, what is now and whatever you lack right now, you can learn and it's really worth doing so. Yeah, that's where softness, softness, like softer and slower. We had one of our DARE alumni. She she really used to say that a lot on the calls. She used to say, instead of try harder, it's try softer. Because trying harder is what you do for doable things. Being is trying softer. It's being lighter. It's being slower. It's the like you don't desperately working on recovery. Do all that action. Like plug yourself into life as strongly not to not to see if it worked either but just truly all in on life and when anxiety shows up it's not in all it's not all in on anxiety it's just let it yeah i am anxious while i do and even if i stop even if i get off the train oh i've been taking the train i've been fine i was scared of the train before i was agoraphobic now i'm back on the train and then whatever i had a whoosh and i left the train i want to know what happens after you left the train i don't really care that you left the train i'm much more interested in in your involvement of leaving the train and your conversation with yourself after you left that train because if you spend the rest of that time shitting all over yourself and going you shouldn't have done that why did you do that now you're back to square one the story attached to it the beating yourself up that's more problematic than getting off the train because i and aida would get off the train at this point and go so what oh well who cares not that we do that perfectly anyway but it's kind of like it's that mindset and so if you do it quote wrong like the way that I'm not supposed to be there what you also get to say after you've done the thing what you get to tell yourself too is that's okay too yeah you're not gonna die you're just gonna whatever you just got off the train this is not life or death situation here oh shit I should have gotten off the train because it exploded no, oh, I shouldn't have gotten off the train because I have to stay and prove to myself that I wasn't, so what, I got off the train, period. Now that I'm off the train, how long do I stay involved in the fact that I got off the train long after me getting off the train is already gone? It's like continued involvement after the situation's already passed. Yeah, I did walk out of the meeting. Mm -hmm. And the more quickly you kind of carry on and keep going and give yourself a nod and say, yeah, I did do that. Yeah. Guilt sort of disappears. The shoulds disappear. Yeah, and by the way, what Michelle just said, this is how you create self-love. It's not the looking in the mirror and saying, oh, you're so beautiful, all that stuff. It's not the affirmations. It's not. It's that. It's that being there for yourself and being encouraging, being truthful, but encouraging and kind. Mm-hmm. When it's easy to do that when you're good, it's not that easy when you're not that good. But when you manage to do that there, Wow, that's really, really powerful. You know, my son reminded me of this today. It was so funny. So I was practicing a, a yoga pose. And so I went out to the kitchen and he was like, oh, did you practice? And I said, yes. I was like, oh, I really sucked at this today. And he looked at me. He was like, you really shouldn't say that about yourself. You know, you just started out. And I was like, I, know. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, but... We, we really need to remind ourselves that we, we are so fast in saying bad things about our good bodies. This is what my yoga teacher always said. Love this. We love to hear bad things about our good bodies and same goes for our mental stuff and our emotions, right? We are so good at just belittling us and not seeing 
oh, I actually stepped onto the train. I actually, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I forget that. We view that as like, oh, I should, should be stepping on the train. Like, oh, big deal. What, what am I supposed to celebrate? <laughs> because that's what you do. Because that habit of self-deprecation is another habit. That's another behavior. And honestly, sometimes it's, sometimes it's maybe steeped in, in like a positive thing. Like as if that's, maybe if that's how you only knew how to, how to get something done. Like here comes the, the back in the day piece. Maybe if when you were a kid, you were, um, screamed at or belittled or made to feel like a fool, but that motivated you, propelled you to do something. And so maybe that's kind of the only way you know how to motivate yourself is by beating yourself up. So sometimes it's well-intended, but I'm telling you, it's not the most useful habit to continue going forward. Beating yourself up is and punishment is the least effective means of change. If it was the most effective, I would tell you to keep doing it because it would be useful in the end. I would tell you to call your piece of sh- yourself a piece of shit all day long because just do it. I know you feel bad, but the payoffs that it just doesn't even work as well. And so if it doesn't feel good now, if it's not conducive to change, then what we're looking at then is just a habit that we've picked up over time that we've learned somehow and so what's nice is that habits can be relearned and you relearn new habits by change behavior. Yes, and, and one last thing on this back in the day thing. Look, it's not your fault, but if you notice it now and you don't like it, it doesn't matter what happened. It's really your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that might be a bitter pill to swallow, but it's true. It's your responsibility, 100% how you treat yourself. And if you don't know how, there are many ways how you can learn how. But once you know, change it. Because that's, I like to think of, you know, at the end of life, when you look back, what was the most important thing? And I think truly being your friend. And I think that's really valuable. I think that's really, really important. There's one of my favorite quotes. It's so nice. I, I hope I can say correctly. May there be kindness in your gaze when you look within. And I thought that's so nice. Right? That is That is so nice. Right, John O'Donnell is oh somebody. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to comment on Mich- I think it's Michelle who wrote this in the comment. That's conditioned me from childhood. Shame me to get going. See, like shame is something that propels me to go, or fear propels you to go, or like whatever um, embarrassment or whatever it is. But if I don't talk to myself, I would stay inside all day and isolate. Where's the balance? Where, sure, sh- that could be a motivational factor to get you going. But like we have, we have a lot of posts on this. We have a lot of um, like what segments from the webinar on this. It's there are other motivate, there are other things that get you to get going other than self-deprecation and shame, like pinning it to your values, choosing, right? You heard me say, it's time to, using those words, it's time, it's time to go to the gym, not, you should go to the, it's also Michelle, I think, you should go to the gym, Michelle, stupid loser, could you not go into the gym? Like, like, there's no reason why you shouldn't be going to the gym, you're so out of shape, you should lose a few pounds, like, that's the most, ask anybody in the world of nutrition and diet or the eating disorder world. Shame doesn't work so well. Shame mm-hmm. doesn't work so well. It kind of has the opposite effect. And mm-hmm. so it might get you out to keep going, but notice I'm only going really because I'm fueled by shame. And mm-hmm. so I'm going out because of what I hook myself to, not what I'm trying to get away from. Yeah. And if I don't want to go to the fucking gym, I'm not going to go to the fucking gym. Okay. And that's okay too. Exactly. So I'm going to keep the pounds and I'm still going to love myself the way I am. So fuck you. But if I want to go, I'll tell myself it's time to go, Michelle. <laughs> Let's go. I choose I to that. go. And also I choose to not go. Yup. Period. And nothing changes End my value in that. Yeah, right. That's nothing right. changes in my value if I go or not go. Just because if I look better or if, if I do my perfect routines, doesn't add to my value at all. Nothing changes. It's just if I want to, is that good for me? Is that something that I choose? Is that something I enjoy? Awesome. Find the time. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't never beat yourself up for it. Okay. Shall we go to All question right. two? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Depersonalization for me is an experience of don't know and where who I am, right? This feeling of confusion. Um, how can I can how can I control the thought of it happening again while driving? 
while dri- okay, how can I control the thought of it happening again while driving? It is the biggest fear. Um, who has any comment on that in the chat? Who hears certain things, how the question was phrased? I'll read it again because it's short. Depersonalization. For me, it is an experience of do not not knowing where and who I am. How can I control the thought of it happening again while driving? It is the biggest fear. All these great answers. Mm-hmm. So okay. we should probably I'll say them out loud because the podcast, we can't see this stuff. Right? Oh, true. Okay. So answers, do nothing to control it. Control, can't control thoughts. How to control, don't control. Don't control. Okay, control. Don't control. Don't keep driving. Don't control. Don't try to control. Can't control it. You got it on the money. Yeah. And you notice where it went sideways, right? Yeah. How can I control the thought of it happening again while driving? My fear, I am, I get scared while I feel disconnected because of, obviously there's a danger story attached to that. I'm just assuming based on these words, what if I crash the car? What if I go crazy? It's dangerous to drive a car. You should be aware of your surroundings, but I feel so disconnected and now I'm scared of being disconnected in the car because of what if. And, you know, wanting to control is normal. The thing is just, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't, not only doesn't work, but it comes with a lot of suffering. It's very, very expensive in, in terms of life quality. It doesn't work. Now, could it happen in the car again? Yeah, sure. It might happen again. It might, it does not, but it might does. So you can control that. So what are your options? You can just never drive again. So you can be sure that will never happen. Or you can choose to think, okay, what other options are there? You know, anxiety always loves to tell us, oh, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's all trying to do that. You're going to be on the freeway 200 miles. Then you're not going to know where you are. And you're going to cause this mass crash. Everybody's going to die. Just you are the one being alive, noticing what you did. <laughs> and there's no alternative. There's nothing like, yeah, you know, you could maybe drive. And if you notice it gets too intense, you could pull over, mm-hmm. right, for example. But try to find alternatives, reasonable alternatives, because obviously it is uncomfortable to drive that way. The same way that we wouldn't tell you, you know, uh, if you have a full panic attack and you feel like you, all your fingers are tingling and then just keep going, just dare through. We don't do that. We say, hey, just pull over, wait. Pull over and have a panic attack on the side of the road. You can pull over and, right? Absolutely. Lighter, whatever. Lighter and softer. Not must or else. Not, but then I'm, I'm failing at my recovery. Notice if you go at it with that mindset. I don't care if you pull over or not. I don't care if you take a Xanax or not. I don't care if you drink a sip of water or not. Notice that pressure of must or else is like really the driving force of this. Also to play devil's advocate here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most people, when you're driving, especially if you're on a well-worn path, you are driving in this sort of disconnected state. Yes. People who call in are, it's not disconnected. Most of you, most people are driving on autopilot. Mm-hmm. The problem, our problem is we are hyper aware of disconnected. It's not disconnected because when you're disconnected, you're just spacing out and driving and you're not aware of where your mind is but when we are in a heightened state hypervigilant awareness state now we are aware of being disconnected that's really where we get stuck not that when i space out when i'm aware of spacing out because spacing out is danger and so it's really the awareness that hooks the fear to a natural like thing that we all do and we've all done it you're driving and then suddenly you're like aware of driving and you're like where the hell am i i I don't even know what road am i are we still on the highway i got (laughs) off the highway and that's that scares the crap out of people especially Mm -hmm. in this world with did i just run five red lights and not even know everybody's favorite did i run over a person and not know i was disconnected disconnected equals danger and Mm -hmm. that's another area and then disconnected while driving equals more danger because I could just get disconnected and do and and have something really unsafe happen in the state of kind of separation of awareness. Yeah. And think about all the times you felt like this. Were you really not in control of your senses? Really? Like, did you 
forget it feels like oh i feel disoriented that you know and that especially happens at night when you wake up from a panic attack mm -hmm. and you're like oh, why because your rational brain is actually sleeping all other areas of your brain are highly active this is why we hallucinate so when we jolt awake our rational brain needs a little bit to like oh what is going on where are we uh, but you are already awake and you notice like all the other parts going crazy like <gasps> and that feels really scary but this happens usually at night even if dpdr is really strong and it can be quite strong you usually not usually you're always in control of your senses you always know where you are who you're talking it feels like it's not it is mm -hmm. i try to make the distinction check in with yourself is it really true that i don't know where i am and here's a little bit of cbt just a little bit okay where's the proof <laughs> find the proof and tell me what have you been doing go through your day while while you felt really disconnected well i'm sure you took care of the kids you went to work you cooked mm -hmm. you, you went to sleep you you didn't forget anything but everything felt really really off right? and notice for a tiny tiny bit of reassurance you know driving is such a subconscious thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank god <laughs> thank god it would be terrible if it wouldn't be but you don't think oh when did i need to turn my steering wheel or when do i need to put my foot on the brake you just do it right yeah. that's what i'm saying you don't think about all that stuff you once you learn a new driver has to consciously be aware of those things but once you've learned how to drive being hyper aware of driving just keeps you in this disconnected out of sync state you're not in flow with driving like to exactly. go back into flow of driving you don't try harder you just go back to driving like you don't have to and that's why like our bodies and brains are amazing. We can drive a car, have a conversation, hear the sound on the radio, look at the person next to you, notice the bakery that's opening. We can take in all this stimuli and be able to process it, it all, but not because we're directly micromanaging doing it with our prefrontal cortexing, like puppeteering thing. Our bodies just do it. And when we lose trust in our bodies, we think we need to have the, our claws in everything to keep us all together. That's the disorder. The disorder is you're not broken. You don't need to hold yourself together because if I let go, I'll fall apart. No, that's that's, that's the wrong part. That's, yeah. the, that's the part that's the problem. Though. That's why we're just, just let go. Feel, feel how you feel. Like the yeah. feeling's not the danger. I want to share some, something really funny. It made me laugh so hard yesterday. It was such a great comment on, on the Dear Academy page. So one of the members, um, she's Dutch, and she posted that she was talking to a friend, and she also is fluent in English. So she was talking to a friend in uh, English, and then she had this intrusive thought, um, what if I forget to speak Dutch or oh, something along those lines? And she was like, then I have this panic coming up. What if, what if I don't know how to speak? Am I speaking Dutch or am I speaking English? That typical, weird, bizarre thought. And then mm -hmm. there's this, this other member, so good. He said, wow, um, reading your comment just gave me a panic attack because I thought, what if I forget to speak Dutch? And then I remembered I don't even speak Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> Look at anxiety. <laughs> what if you forget to speak that and you don't speak it? <laughs> it can it can drive us it can drive us nuts. So just something to laugh. I had to share this. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Perfect example. So Perfect example. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like with health anxiety, I remember looking something up and I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, I think I have a problem with my prostate. I'm like wait a second <laughs> wait a second i'm one of those <laughs> awesome moving right along okay i'm doing well and recovering and i'm ready for a for a setback what <laughs> i'm ready for go anxiety <laughs> we're ready to <laughs> sorry i think i read that wrong <laughs> i'm doing well in recovering and i'm ready for a setback is there anything else i can do that would that will help i think i understand forward? like kind of like knowing to expect like setbacks will be there along the way is there anything i can like 
prepare for should that happen? That's great that's question. The sense I'm getting from yeah, that question. I mean, that, that's a good question. I'm curious though, with what intention you ask that question. Like, hey, is there any other self-care tool? Or is there, hey, can you help me brace myself because I feel like I've been good for two weeks and mm -hmm. I know like he's gonna come. So what can I do? Right. So I yeah. think that if you're in the chat, please uh, respond to that question. That would be great to know. Because with that mindset, it'll keep you on walking in eggshells mode. All right, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, which scares people too. Because you're like, oh, shit, I'm doing good. Can't let my guard down because what if I do not good and I'm rusty and it all comes back and I have to be ready for the setback so I can dare it the right way still that harsh hard attitude as opposed to i just had a call right before this call talking about a setback but when you kind of dig a little deeper i'm like what what is the setback you're telling me you're having a setback what is it that you're defining as a setback well i i felt no anxious and then i felt anxious that's not a setback just like i stopped feeling sad and now i feel sad again this is the weird world of dare here which again, maybe before there, it makes sense. Like anxiety recovery is anxiety free. No, the setback is how I treat feelings when they come back. So your best way to brace, prepare yourself for a setback is to live life like this with arms open, willingly with a mindset ready to feel whatever feeling may happen to show up. Yeah, you're right. I may feel anxious today. I may or may not sleep well tonight. I may or may not feel disconnected today. I may or may not have a panic attack in the elevator. And you go, the best way I think moving forward is to be open to with your feeling better is just be open to feeling what you feel. Mm -hmm. And just really briefly, do you know why Michelle and I don't get setbacks? And why we're not afraid of setbacks we trust our skill right and this is what we've learned and practiced and all who are recovered they don't fear setbacks because they trust their skill oh a storm might come up yeah you know what intrusive thoughts might resurface but it doesn't bother me because i know how to treat them and my response will be eh. and another thing you know, when we learn dare, we it's it's like learning to tie shoelaces. Everything is really mm -hmm. robotic and you notice every step and then you notice that you're failing and uh, it becomes frustrating. But at some point, you just, just do it automatically. And I had a great question from a client, really good question. First time I got this and she said, what I noticed is that when anxious thoughts surface, my brain automatically responds. And can you help me to stop that? Because I think I'm reassuring myself automatically. And I'm like, hmm, can you say that again? What do you mean? Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, every time a thought comes up, my brain, before I can respond, it responds with something like, oh, you no, that's not true. And I think I am engaging in compulsions. And I said, no, what you are doing you're doing nothing. And that's a fantastic thing because diffusion has become such an automated skill. And that's really something to look forward, guys. Practice this religiously and your brain will like, okay, thanks for the work. I'm going to do it for you now. So Michelle and I, we get interested thoughts. We get weird thoughts. But it's a, it's an effortless response because our brain's like, oh, I know that one. Let me respond this way. Right? Yeah, and even if you... I, and I never cared about it. I have... I talk to me long enough. I have all these thoughts all the time. My anxiety didn't hook to it. So I have intrusive thoughts all day long. I would never consider that a setback because that was never what my fear was hooked to. And that's why the absence or presence of thoughts is not the absence or presence of a disorder. I have those thoughts all day long, all my life. Any of you guys have kids and they're like four years old, ask them all. That usually four-year-olds are happy to tell you the weird shit that goes on in their brains. Oh my God, imagine, imagine this. You know what I thought of? You know what I imagined? <clears throat> They're not like at odds with them yet, usually. But like, mm -hmm. so mine was paired to my stomach. So do I go back into some old patterns of behavior? <clears throat> Sorry, sometimes, mm -hmm. maybe, sometimes, sometimes I stop for a second. Sometimes I'll, uh, I think I don't feel well, or I'm just, I'm just trying to share this to show that like, it doesn't even matter that I do that stuff anymore either. Mm -hmm. Like rather than trying to not do those things, it's more like, 
Mm, and the disorder is how much it takes over my life. Not that I still engage in some habits, 1% of my life that sometimes, sometimes we go back into old patterns of behavior. Okay. Like my son got his braces put back on and it was, here's my example from last week. And I brought him in the morning and it was like, because we moved, we moved in between his treatments. And so the new orthodontist doesn't use those braces. He uses different braces. And it was my husband and I like, should we not? Should we do it? My husband's like, no, don't do it. I'm like, we're in the middle. Whatever. It was uncertainty. Then I felt bad for him because he has to go through this whole thing again. And they called him back and I'm sitting in the waiting room while he's back. And here's doubt in my mind. So I can explain, I know why this showed up. And I'm like, I feel bad for him. He's going to be in so much pain now. Am I making the wrong decision? Maybe I shouldn't have done that. It's another couple thousand dollars. right? And I start to feel, is that a setback? No. Okay. So here now I'm just feeling more anxious because I'm more uncertain and I'm feeling more uncomfortable. It was also, I finally wore real pants instead of pajama pants because I had to go out in public and I could feel my pants pressing on my stomach and I didn't eat anything. And now my stomach starts to feel funny. And I'm sitting there going, huh, I feel like, like old Michelle would have jetted the hell out of there. And so I sat there, they were playing home alone in the waiting room and I'm looking and you know what I did? I got up and I walked into my car and I sat in my car for five minutes and then I got out of my car and I walked back in the waiting room and that was the end of the story. There is no, do now maybe I just don't have a setback because I don't call them a setback because I don't care that that happened and I don't care that I did the thing in response to what happened. And then the whole situation ended when it ended. You see, exactly that's the thing, right? You didn't make a thing out of the thing. So this is why I said the setback. But when you once you start, it's I always say, and excuse my language, it's the oh my god, and what the fuck? It's that. That's the setback. Not having a yeah. panic attack, not saying, Oh my god, it's back is the setback, right? not what's yeah. back. Yeah. Oh my god, and what the fuck is this? Right? And the missing context. What is this? If Michelle would have said, Oh, but why did this come up now? Mm-hmm. Why all of a sudden, why am I feeling I'm nauseous and I'm afraid of nauseous and I don't want that. That is the problem. But she had a context immediately, right? She was like, yeah, now look, my pants are not feeling well and everything. I'm just not well and I'm worried about my boy. That's the thing. And that raises my sensitization. Normal happens to anybody. Mm-hmm. And yes, her thing, her association is with stomach. Right? Mine is something else and yours is something else. But it's usually the first thing that comes up. It's yeah. what you make out of it that is the thing and you can ask all without exception all recovered people they will tell you the same thing it's not the they have not eliminated their thoughts they have not eliminated nausea on my dare academy call yesterday i had somebody said like like they were explaining how like my, my body always fluctuated before I was stuck on trying to not feel these feelings, but then like you zoom out and you're like, I want to go back to the old me, right? Who gets stuck? Like, I want to go back to the old me. But then when you really look back, you're like, I didn't always feel good all the time. I didn't always sleep solidly and peacefully all the time. I didn't never have thoughts of what if I jump out of this window? I never, I just let them be. And there, it was such a great, it was such a great, um, like thing that he was saying he's like i'm finally getting letting my body go back to fluctuating rather than trying to not fluctuate because every time something comes up that we don't like you we view the return of discomfort as a setback and it's the return of old patterns and behaviors in response to the return of just the discomfort that's really the setback not the fact that i slept really well great but then I didn't sleep last night at all. And now I'm in a setback. No, you treating not sleeping well that night is the setback. And the longer you act that way, the longer you stay back, the longer you are at odds with not sleeping well, not the fact that you didn't sleep well. Yeah. I don't know. Does this make sense, guys, in the chat? You know what? I feel like a setback. Sometimes I never know. It's almost like 
developing an allergy to towards your feelings. <laughs> I, I just kind of gave a great example. He said, you know, something happened. She, she said, something happened to my husband. Okay. He had an accident and I felt really sorry for him. But the first thing I noticed was my anxiety. Right. So it was about me and my anxiety. And this upset me. And I'm so annoyed by this. Obviously, I'm sorry for my husband, but I still, ooh, all of a sudden I feel ramped up. So I'm in a setback. This is anxiety. No, it's not. This is allergy to feelings that develops with anxiety, right? Before you had the same feelings, but now the sensitivity, look at it this way. Mm -hmm. Sensitivity to discomfort is highly increased. So when something uncomfortable happens, those receptors are like, oh, discomfort, discomfort. Hey, brain, what do you think? And the brain's like, oh, we don't like that. Here is some energy. And what, what you then notice is this hypervigilance. And then because there is no context, because you don't understand what's going on, the why happens. Why? Mm -hmm. Why do I feel this way is the most powerful question in the world, <laughs> right? It's mm -hmm. that one question that can take a perfectly normal, healthy person without anxiety about anxiety issues to, to feeling completely devastated. Right. And Less you're not asking why, because you're finding that interesting, because you're philosophical about it, because you just listen to me because you love my voice. I know nobody on this call is here because they love Michelle Cavanaugh's voice. But because that why is you, they are not Aida. <laughs> but because that why question is usually pinned to the next question. Yeah. Well, what, what do you guys say next? Why? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Why is this happening? What's wrong with me? Exactly. And so really, you're looking for the whys to see what's wrong. Because if I could just fix what's wrong, then I'll feel better. And when I feel better, then I'll be safe and okay. Plus, now let's let's spin this further. <gasps> what is going on? What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. hmm. You ask a wonderful question. And if you leave that unanswered, guess what your anxious mind is going to do? Oh, you're asking me a question? All right, mm -hmm. let's go find out. I have absolutely Here's no all the things that are wrong with you. <laughs> yes, Aida. <laughs> what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Right. And, and this can be really nuanced as well. It sometimes also can come in form of, oh, this is all your fault. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's your fault because you feel like, oh, you're just too stupid to understand this, this thing. You feel you feel like this because of will always, always, always be answered by your anxious mind. And if you don't chime in, I like that. Eh, no, no, I don't. That's not true. Thanks for, for this, but it's not true. I feel like this because mm, let's start with something really basic and something that is true in 100% of the cases. Um, my body's an electrical system. It's just high voltage at the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's going on and it manifests itself as either uh, nausea or dizzy or oh intrusive thought or oh here is the self-loathing again whatever but it's and sometimes it's muscle twitching you lay in mm -hmm. bed but it's like mm, mm, mm. high voltage that's what's going on it comes with with this whole set of sensations and now there's you oh god what is wrong with me i have all the sensations and then your anxious mind, your best friend, bless its heart. Oh, yeah, I know. It could be this. It could be this. It could, could be this. And then now you have the full recipe for disaster. Right? So your job is truly to always give the correct context. Correct context mm -hmm. is really, really important. And for that, I like to tell all my clients, look at anxiety, 90% physical, biological, and the rest is interpretation in your behavior. It all starts with high voltage. Ugh, something's just out of whack too much and now you start to spin a story mm -hmm. and this is what keeps the high voltage going right so if you look and this is why michelle and i often say tell yourself it's just stress hormones it's nothing it's nothing it's just and that's not what's wrong either instead of huh? the wrong because that means the, the opposite is right right or that's the problem to fix instead of what's wrong with me if everybody could even just practice this week instead of what's wrong with me what's happening right now rather than yep. what's wrong because what's wrong is a judgment of what's happening so rather take the judge out of the equation instead of what's wrong with what's happening just go to observation. What's happening right now? Stick with that. And then that helps go back into observation mode of, oh, my heart is racing right now. 
why? I, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm nervous or I'm hungry or I'm whatever, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm just anxious right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like your need to answer why won't have to be to solve what's wrong. It'll no. just be, that's just what's happening. And my body happens. And it did all that stuff before I went into this heightened inward turn state behind the scenes crew took care of behind the scenes crew. The actor doesn't spend their time with their head behind the curtain. The mm -hmm. actor works here. What happens is the loud, the backstage got loud. Our heads went behind the curtain and now we stay here waiting for behind the scenes to get quiet. Good luck. You have to come out while it's loud and let it be loud, but treat loud as safe. Whatever words work best for you, but the core of dare is to not feel better. It's to change your relationship with feeling uncomfortable and treating that feeling as safe. Yes. Question for you guys. Please write in the chat. If you regard your anxiety as physical, okay, just biological imbalance at the moment, I'm just sensitized and this sensitization, right, this brings on sensations. How does that feel as opposed to saying, I have anxiety. I have an anxiety disorder. I have intrusive thoughts and I have panic attacks. Right? How does that feel? Where is it different? Why is it different? Ask yourself, that. why Why is it different? Right? Because as soon as you say mental health, oh, you open mm -hmm. the whole universe. What is that even mental health? What's the definition? Right? We don't have one definition. We don't have that. That already makes it really hard. Self, same thing with self-esteem. I hate that word. How do you measure that self-worth? In pounds or dollars? How do you do that? Right? There's no way of measuring. Uh, maybe Mondays, my self-esteem, if I answer a questionnaire, oh, I was going to be through the roof. But then there is a Friday evening and I feel like, oh my God, my self-esteem. It's, it's not helpful. It's really not helpful. So when you think of this thing as mental and emotional, it's like, I can't grasp it. I can see it. I don't even know what to do with it. And there are so many theories, so, so many theories. There's mm -hmm. There's rebounding, there's anxiety, there are all these other things. It's really so, you make your life so much simpler, simpler if you look at this for what it is. Yeah. And I tell you don't feel diagnoses. So if you're using diagnostical terms to describe how you feel, being aware of that and kind of like detaching yourself a little bit from a diagnosis, I don't feel a diagnosis. I'm, I'm kind of playing with words here and people might not agree with me, but like, depression is a diagnosis the feel what are the ingredients to depression because depression might come with a feeling of like there's bread and then there's flour and salt and baking soda and baking by whatever the hell else you put in bread i don't know but like feel the feeling that's there a diagnosis is a is terminology and when people have been over therapied right they start treating themselves as if like they are a diagnosis and I am, I have derealization, depersonalization disorder. I know it's in, a, it's in the dissociative world. And now I'm, I'm also uh, attending to my, my OCD and my, as if they're like different infections in your body. And like, dare, we're just trying to get to the, the ingredients, what's happening right now. Again, tell a, a boring story, but like a simplified story. I feel scared. My stomach feels shaky. That looks weird. That looks weird right now because every time I feel, I describe a feeling as a disorder, I will forever treat my feelings as disordered. Mm -hmm. And I I love to say I, I have an experience. <laughs> right? Intrusive thoughts are an experience. A panic attack is an experience. Mm -hmm. Feeling disconnected is an experience. Same as, oh, I went to the gym and had fun is an experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, we had a great family dinner on Thanksgiving. That was a great experience. I went bungee jumping. I would never do that. That was an experience. <laughs> I look at this as an experience rather than a diagnosis, something that takes you out of life and stops the flow of your life. And now you need to heal first because you're broken. Something's really wrong. So somebody needs to fix you so we can mm -hmm. put you back into life. Mm -mm. that's not we never like that was should never I don't know how we ended up here but that was the intention was to never get rid of feelings but somehow along the line it's to like 
now I need to do all these things to feel better or to not feel anxious. Oh, I get better at accepting and allowing, but then the same person says, but now I'm anxious and that's a setback. But it's not. The absence or presence of a feeling does not determine progress, recovery, setback. It's how I treat it. Like our job is to get you better at experiencing anxious when anxious shows up, at getting getting better at experiencing your own sad, how you treat your sad, your anger. When your anger shows up, how you make peace with the fact that your body can feel angry. Anything beyond that is the disorder. Trying not to, trying to get rid of it, shoving it away, doing a million coping techniques until that feeling goes away creates these disordered relationships with perfectly normal human being feelings and emotions. Yes. I would like to leave you with a home assignment this time. So ask yourself, first time you experienced anxiety, maybe it was as a child, as a teenager, or even as an adult, what would you have wished somebody would have told you back then? And write down that answer and tell that yourself today. Right? To give an example, my first panic attack, I wish somebody had laughed with me and said, oh my God, that was a proper panic attack. Right? Mm -hmm. Of course, mm -hmm. it, that was a proper one. That was a real good one. I actually saw your heart beating out of your chest. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Hey, you're going to feel a little bit shaky, like for the next uh, 30 minutes or an hour or so. Um, you know what? I had one last week. I wish somebody would have told me that. So I could have laughed along and not go on Google, mm -hmm. Google and, and type in meditation, panic attack, what happened? And somebody would tell me, oh, some chakras opened, <laughs> connected to the stars. I'm like, what? <laughs> but think about where that led me. <laughs> think about where that led me right? the, the agony and pain that I had to go through because I didn't have somebody to tell me that mm -hmm. so have your answer tell that yourself next time you have a panic attack if it's something like in my case I wish somebody would have laughed about it laugh, laugh at it be your own best friend be mm -hmm. the parent the friend whatever that you need needed then right now and you will never look back once you are that friend you will not care about your childhood anymore <clears throat> you will not blame anybody anymore because you will have all that you wanted and one thing to comment on what patty wrote um i agree we will be okay but i also slightly disagree because will future, we will be okay actually you already are mm -hmm. and so when you start i am okay while i have a panic attack i I am okay, because will is a little future based as if we're waiting for something you already are. So I, it sounds like I disagree, but I actually agree because yeah, you will because you already are. I am, I am no more in danger having a panic attack than I am having an orgasm. One just feels worse and one feels better. And I prefer one over the other, but I am the same amount safe. And before we wrap up, I want to say, since these are all of our app members, if you haven't seen it already, please look at Aida's new section on the app. Please tell us about it. Because if you haven't seen it, if you scroll past or used to go into all the sections, know that there is a, a wonderful new section on there that will continue to grow. Who's seen it and who hasn't seen it yet? Tell us, tell us more about it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Guys, it's really just gentle. Just let's just move a little bit. Okay. It's not even, it's no high, um, um, sorry. It's not strange. Look at all those comments, by the way. <laughs> sorry. Look at all those comments, by the way. That's so nice. Thank you guys. I'm really happy to, to read that. Thank you so much, Michelle, for, for saying that. It's really about, oh, when anxiety makes us stiff. Like instead of just trying to to get into flow with our head and our emotions, sometimes it's just tough. Like if you're like, okay, I'm saying accepting allow like 50 times, but it still is so hard. You know what? Let's forget this here. Let's go and just move a little bit. And if you don't want to do this flows, just rub on the floor. <laughs> just lie down, roll to your side, flip, whatever you need to do. But getting into physical movement really helps our mind become a little bit more flexible. And it's that flexibility that that dare is all about flex mental and emotional flexibility 
not rigidity. So if you uh, love it, uh, we have more to come. I would love to hear your feedback or if you would like to see something else, please let us know on any channel, Facebook or email support. We're here. Thank you. Suggestions, I think, at dairyspons.com. Is there a suggestion one or a support at Dairy Response? I mean, somebody wrote, I'm doing this as a daily routine now. That's the that's the purpose of this. Like we would love to grow this into like, like looking to grow it into like a dare wellness section. Yeah. So it's absolute follow all these things for your overall well being and, and how also body mind connection, right? I can say all the right dare things, but moving your body sort of ties those words into what it looks like physically. So keep that in mind as you guys go through all those, um, exercises and that section I think is, is just going to grow in the, the near future. Wonderful. You guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Mrs. Kavna. It's a pleasure as always. Nice and to see you. We have the Dear Christmas call, right? December 21st for, is that for? for, for that's for um, all the phase three. Oh, okay. So we have another Not the webinar. We have one more webinar, which we can also, webinar. honestly, we can run our last webinar of the year the same way. That might be fun. I think so. That'd, that'd be nice. So yeah, let's meet with a drink in our hand. And let's do <laughs> so just to let you guys know what we, we do on like what was Dare Advance and now it's, uh, we just changed. It's called Dare Academy now. Um, we started this a few years ago, the last call of the year. And it's run more like a, like a group Zoom meeting where we can all see each other and interact with each other. We can't um, do it in that particular format here, I don't think, um, unless we can somehow figure that out um, to bring everybody in on video. But um, we basically come in and kind of look back and remind ourselves of how far we came and what we've done and raise a glass to each other and um, like cheers to the new year. And we toast each other. And so, cause it's hard to toast ourselves. We try that in the beginning, it goes for a few people. And then it's usually much easier to raise our glass to each other, to look what you did, or you inspired me to do that. And so if we want to work that into um, our webinar, we can, even if you want to send in your suggestions for the, Instead of questions on ah, how do I do with my thoughts, it's what inspired you this year? What what comment on the Facebook page? What did you see somebody like go on a plane and that kicked you off to go on your plane ride? Like That's things, things like that. That would be a great way to wind up um, our webinars for this. Oh, year, I love I that. I really look forward to that. Sounds fantastic. So um, let's try to keep you guys updated via email or something. There will be notification on the app. We'll let you know how, how we'll go about that. But look forward. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Right, we'll see you on the next call. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the D.A.R.E. podcast. The D.A.R.E. app has over 1 million downloads and is helping people all around the world to overcome anxiety and panic attacks. You can download the app for free at dareresponse.com.